Hi, I'm Pete Moore. And my name's Bex Gregory. And together we are the co-hosts of the Entertainment Engine podcast. We are really excited to share more information about our show. The podcast is for new and existing creatives working in music, film and TV. Weekly, we provide our listeners with information, advice and knowledge to help people navigate a career in the entertainment industry. Plus, we have fantastic guests from the world of entertainment who share their stories with us, where we learn from their experience of working in the entertainment business, built in with some fun facts along the way. So be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, plus many others. We look forward to welcoming you to the show. On the podcast this week, we speak with Skip Martin, who is a Grammy award-winning artist, songwriter, producer and author, best known for being the lead singer and trumpeter for two legendary groups, Cool and the Gang and the Daz Band. His achievements include MOBO Outstanding Achievement Award, Platinum and Gold Record Recipient, R&B Song of the Year, six consecutive Top 100 albums and two Top 100 singles, just to name a few. It was a real privilege to get to speak with Skip and we really hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to another episode of The Entertainment Engine and today it's a real privilege for Bex and I to be speaking with the one and only Grammy award winning songwriter, producer, author, you name it, he's done it, Mr Skip Martin. Skip, how are you? Hey, I'm great. I'm great. I'm feeling good. I'm having a blessed day today. I woke up with a song in my heart. We got 20 minutes. Let me see. I woke up. I woke up feeling kind of kind of funky. I want to yeah. give you some love. I want to right. share something with you. Let's share some all love. Yeah. There in England and all of those other places. <laughs> today we're gonna have a great time. And I'm gonna give you some love. Wait a minute. I'm gonna dance with you. Something like this, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 You're feeling it. I'm oh, feeling it. We're Live on TV. <laughs> Wait a minute. I saw your face, baby. I came across the room with my mood, yeah. To see what you do, you turn me on, baby. And I just want to dance with you. I've been come on. I found good music. And I feel like it's the best thing that for So I can dance with you. I need to bump in. And all I really want is to dance more. Are you feeling that, babe? Love it. I've been listening for so long. Yeah. Nice. We have our own concert. I want to go to more. Because I want to see you. Give me the chance That fine romance Girl, I gotta see you Oh, come on <laughs> hey, Congratulations and I won't be the same if you don't dare for me. Cause you make my body just wanna move. Just wanna move. Okay, I just want to give you some love to start off the show. Wow, let's have that's a amazing. Yeah. Ooh, our own little concert, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was pretty cool. That was cool. We were dancing over here. Yeah. We were like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I just think live music has just come back. That that's, that's we just had a private oh, concert. That's made our day that has. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There oh, you go. That's cool. I love the vibe. That's great. All right. Just, thank you. But that vibe is just, when I hear that vibe, any time when I've been growing up in the clubs, concerts, you just want to dance. Yeah. You just right. Just want to groove. I know. You know, things have changed so much now because uh, dancing was a part of our culture to be able to meet people. And it was like a communication type of thing. 
I mean, yeah. you couldn't get the cutest girl in the school if you couldn't have some sexy dance moves. If you were looking <laughs> like Oprah, she didn't want to dance with you. She didn't want to talk to you. So that was how we got to, you know, meeting people and 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 uh, socializing and what have you. Now they have phones and we just write nasty stuff and people somebody respond to us or yeah. not. You know, yeah. so it's a whole different thing. But back mm-hmm. then, you had to get up and dance. And uh, so musicians, we were making music that would make you move and and yeah. give you a vehicle to communicate with something to make your body feel like, oh, I feel like this. And then she'll say, oh, you're so cute. You know, and that <laughs> kind of stuff. So, <laughs> you know, so it's a little different now, but I'm old school, so I still have some of that in me. Yeah. Yeah, but you can't beat the old school. No, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. And you can't beat the old way. You can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. I think, I think if you mix the old ways with some of the new ways, then I think you've got quite a, yeah, good, quite mix. a, quite a good mix. Yeah, yeah, then you have Bruno Mars. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. And Bruno Mars is cool. I mean, he's cool. Yeah, he's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah, exactly. But, um, I mean, Skip, I mean, you've had such an amazing career. And, I mean, we would love to know, you know, go back right to the beginning and just learn about more about your early life and how everything got started for you, you know, how you got into music. We'd love to know more. Okay, well. It all started, I was seven years old, and I was riding in a, I was riding in a Dodge Rambler with my grandmother and grandfather, and that King Cole had just passed away, and um, they were doing a tribute to him, and so as we were riding, I heard, unforgettable, that's what you are, and it sounded to me like he was in the car with us, and I told my grandmother, I said, Nana, that's what I'm going to do. And she said, what, baby? I said, I'm going to make music so that when I die, people will hear my songs and still think I'm in the car with them. Wow. That's when it started for me. I was seven. Oh, wow. oh, wow. Such a young age. Wow. So that's where that started. And about four years later, I picked up the trumpet mm. and um, really was enamored by that, that particular instrument. Actually, I was trying to be lazy. I want to learn the instrument that would be easy. <laughs> so they had a, they had music orientation and they brought in three instruments. First, they brought in a trombone and the trombone had a big mouthpiece and a slide. And, rah, and I was like, that mouthpiece is too big. I'll never be able to play that. Mm-hmm. And then they brought the saxophone in. The sax was cute and sexy and it was like a, an S with buttons on it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. I said, but look at all those buttons. That's too many buttons. I'll never be able to play that. And then they brought the trumpet in. The trumpet had a small mouthpiece and three buttons. I said, that's my instrument right there. <laughs> Little did I know it was going to be one of the most difficult ones to play. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it yeah. chose me, wow. and that's how I got started playing. And, uh, and uh, four years later, after 11, starting to play that, I started playing um, professionally. Mm. Um, I found out that I had something, I have like um, uh, an audiographic memory when it comes to music. So if I hear something, I could play it. And in that four years, I learned how to develop that ability. Mm. And so as the kids were learning how to play, I'm like, you don't hear that? You don't hear that? And I didn't know that it was something that I had that was special. I thought it was something wrong with them. I'm like, why don't you hear that? It's so simple. <laughs> and um, I started developing that, and I would listen to records. Both my mother and father were into music. My dad was a jazz proficionado, English teacher. My mom was a teacher as well, but they both liked music. Mm. And uh, they were like black hippies. You know, they had uh, the parties, the teacher parties on the weekend where they would drink and smoke weed and have their parties. And I wake up in the morning, me and my sister, and there would be like 15 people on the couches and with their feet up and barefooted and, and the record player still going and smoke still, incense still going, you know, at the party all night. And that was a faculty party. Okay. So, you know, faculty were rough. So, at any rate, that time, by that education, by hearing that foundation, I was copying things that I heard. Mm-hmm. And I teach people, I teach children, I teach classes, I do seminars. And one of the best ways that we learned how to do everything and anything, you guys included, we learned how to 
taught from listening to people speak. We mimic them. We learn how to run by mimicking people walking. You know, so I just started learning by mimicking what I was hearing on the records. And therefore, I ended up getting a, a job playing in my first band, playing a song by a group called Tower of Power called oh, yeah. You're Still yeah, yeah. a Young Man, Baby. Ooh, don't waste your time. And they had a fanfare. Well, I learned how to play that fanfare. And that was my auditioning number to get me into the band at 15. Wow. And I started playing professionally at 15. And um, uh, unlike other kids in school, I was actually, my mom told me she didn't want me to go out there playing because I needed to get my education and all of that in school. I was too young. Mm. And the guys were 18 and 21 years old in the band. And they were like, we really want to have him in our band. She said, nope, he's too young. You know, you can't eat, you know. And I said, Mom, I really want to play in the band. I want to play in the band. She said, nope, yeah. you're too young. You, you got to go and do your school and this and that and so forth. And I watched them as they walked away. They came back about two weeks later. The manager guy came back. He had flowers. He told my mom, he says, look, we really want to have him in the band. Would you let him? We'll take care of him. Mom says, okay, I tell you what. I'm going to let you take him, but he has to be back in the house by 11 o'clock. And the first time that he's not back in the house by 11 o'clock, it's all over. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, I promise we'll bring him back. So they drove me around. And for the first two weeks, they, I played with them in the clubs and this, this and that and so forth. I sat in the restaurant side of the clubs where the food was. It was legal for me to be over there. And then I would do my homework by the candles. And then uh, they came over. And after two weeks, I came home and back in... 1971, my mom was taking, a single mom taking care of the two of us. And after that two weeks, I think it was after the first week, I had $250. Hmm. And I showed that with my mom. I said, Mom, look what I made. And she says, wow. That was more money than she was making taking care of the two of us. And she she said, well, okay, you can do it. And from that time on, I was working, I was a wrestler in school. I was in my sports. I was protesting certain social things that were going on. This is when we had um, the civil rights movement was into mm-hmm. effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And blacks were being kept out of certain sports and couldn't be a black quarterback, couldn't be a black coach, couldn't be a black swimmer, couldn't wow. be a black, 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 black. Yeah, yeah. So in order to combat that, I went and did sports where I could go up and legally beat up the white boys. So I wouldn't wrestle. (laughs) (laughs) I got on the swim team. (laughs) I got on the ping pong team. I got on the bowling team. All the stuff that they typically didn't see black people doing. And because I was playing music, I had an anonymity to my blackness, so to speak, because I played so well at that time Mm. that they were like, that boy sure doesn't know how to play that trumpet. You know, so it got me out of that, you know, that black boy or that whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of my anonymity through that time period. And I uh, just kept progressing and kept growing. And, and uh, it said by the time I was seven, uh, okay, so I'm going to school, six o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning was my stage band. Uh, and I went to school and all my classes till one twenty or almost two o'clock. Then they, uh, we had lunch and I think I finished my classes around 2.20, something like that. Then I went to wrestling after school. So I started wrestling from about three o'clock till about six o'clock. Then I would come home, take a shower, get something to eat, grab my books and what have you. And the guys would come and pick me up at eight o'clock and drive me down to the club where we were playing six nights a week till two o'clock in the morning. And I did this for four years of high school. Wow. That's commitment. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's commitment. And um, after that point in time, you know, I tell, you know, I tell people that are aspiring, young people that are aspiring. One of the things is you, in order to be successful at anything, one, you have to throw certainty to the wind. Mm-hmm. You have to have faith and throw certainty out the door. You know, mm-hmm. if you think that, well, I'm not going to move until I'm secure with this and that and so forth. Well, you're, never, you're limiting yourself to just waiting for something to happen. 
Yeah. But if you want to make something happen, you have to throw certainty to the wind. You have to have courage to go to an environment that's less familiar, less comfortable, and less convenient to make your way. Mm-hmm. Then you have to have the vision to collaborate with somebody that has something special that you don't have because there's power in numbers. And these are the things that I learned as I left my comfort of my home and uh, went on to these different places and had to learn that the MF word was a term of endearment because <laughs> I wanted to beat somebody up every time somebody mm-hmm. called me MF, you know, and, yeah, and yeah, I found yeah. out that was just a term of endearment, you know, mm-hmm. so those are some of the lessons you had to learn by being out there on the road and how to do certain things. And so that's how I got started. And, and uh, we had to wear hot pants with leggings from the knee down. So playing oh. Parliament Funkadelic, swing down yeah, to yeah. Jerry Stop yeah. and let me ride, you know, yeah. doing that in the clubs. And I'm doing my homework to the candles. Yeah. And at 17 years old, and uh and and I didn't know how to my little brother, he was two years younger than me, and he, he's uh from my, you know, he's like my brother. And he is his mom and my mom were best friends in high school. So they did things at the same time, had kids at the same time, got married, same you know, time, all that stuff, had divorces. And my auntie, she had four kids, three girls and one boy. He was the youngest. And and uh, she had, uh, and my mom had one boy and one girl. So they put the two of us boys together and we grew up like brothers. And he was two years younger than I was. And so he come and stay with me and what have you. Now he was from the city. He knew how to talk to girls and hey baby, you know how you doing? Oh, that's so sweet. You just something out there. I'm like, I didn't know nothing about talking to no ladies. I've been playing eight hours a day playing my trumpet. I didn't know <laughs> yeah. anything about socializing with those chicks. And you here have time I am. For that? <laughs> yeah, I don't have time for that. And I'm over here playing my yeah. my trumpet and I'm doing my homework by candlelight. And a lady would come over to me and want me to help you with your algebra. I'm like, get out of here. I'm trying to do my own work. You know. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what do you want? You know, I didn't know I was cougar bait, but I was at that time, you know, because I was 16 and 17 and everybody else was 21 years of age in the club, you know, so. Yeah. But that lasted for a couple of years. And by the time I was 17 or 18, I was like, yeah, baby, what you want? <laughs> you know, I kind of... <laughs> You're right, you're kind of out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, smooth goodness. talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's not talk about so, algebra anymore. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about ABCs and birds and bees. Let's talk about that. I'm yeah. 18. Okay. Oh, goodness. So, you wow. know, and uh, I started wow. singing my first songs in, in that band and you know, traveled all around the world and, uh, well, started traveling around the country. And I think by the time I was 19, I was in this group called Mighty Generation. Now, I'm going to tell you a quick story. Mighty Generation, this was, we were a funk band. We played Parliament Funkadelic and George Clinton music. We wore wow. hot pants with leggings from the knee down. Now, this story is called In Plain Sight. And so they horned me. They went on to, when I met them, and I left my hometown in Sacramento, Went to the big city, which was San Jose, California, about 50 miles away. San Jose, San Francisco. More bands, more people, more opportunities for me to grow with my dream. And uh, so I went there, and that's when I ran into this group, Mighty Generation. Now, Mighty Generation, by playing Parliament Funkadelic, we were also on what we call the Chitlin Circuit. So the Chitlin Circuit meant you made $20 a piece a man a night, and 10 of those dollars went to the community bag of weed. And that's how we were living. Okay, so we're, you know, practicing. So they sent me to Phoenix, Arizona to catch up with the band and to horn me so I could play trumpet and I could sing vocals and all of that in the band. And I get fitted for my hot pants with the leggings from the knee down. So I go over there and and, uh, we were in a place called the Sands Hotel. Indian people own it and ran it. So every day we got up, we smelled like curry. You know, so, uh, so, uh, so we go to Canada and we're getting ready to go from Vancouver all the way across the northern side of United States to the east coast of Canada in the winter time where no bands were wanting to go up there and travel at that time. It was 40 below and all of that stuff and snow. So we got to the border. The customer officer comes out and says, are you guys a band? We said, yes, sir. He said, what kind of band are you? 
We said, well, we played Parliament Funkadelic and George Clinton. He said, flashlight, dun, 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 flashlight. He says, yeah, I know that band. He goes, you want to get out of your band? We want to check your band out. Now, we had two guys in the band that didn't smoke, drink, or anything. You could see the P-trails coming out of their pants as they were getting out of the van because they knew that we were going to have to call Western Union and get our parents to send us some money because somebody was going to jail. Mm. So we didn't know what we were going to do. Wow. And so we were sitting over there and just and just panicking. So the guy looks all in the yeah. van. We don't have any pipes, no roaches, no weed, no steeds, no paraphernalia, nothing of that nature. But he could smell a slight cough type of thing. And so he looked over at his buddy. He said, Greg, go get Daisy. Daisy was a beige Cocker Spaniel, one and a half year old Cocker Spaniel drug dog. And Daisy, go find him. Daisy jumps up in the van and she just starts alarming. Whoa, 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 whoa. She just barking. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes. And we standing out in broad daylight, 12 noon. And we're like, oh my God, we're going to jail. We're going to jail. And she doesn't find anything. It seemed like a, an eternity went by. And we looked back in the van, and it looked like Daisy had a contact high because Daisy was on her black back playing with a blanket. Guy was so embarrassed. He says, Come on, Daisy, come out of there. And he grabbed Daisy. You guys can, can go on your way. Come here, Daisy. They took poor, took poor Daisy off. I got in the shotgun seat. And the culprit, who's still my friend today, he got in the driver's seat. And we drove about two clicks down the highway. And I looked at him. I said, Clarence, who got the weed? He said, I got it. I said, how you have it? They check everything that we had, everything. He said, I put that mofo on the top of the van and plane site. I thought that mofo and dog going to lose a mofo in mine. <laughs> <laughs> and we rode up into Canada with the best sleep, laughing our butts off. And the moral <laughs> to that story is, if you've got to hide, it's best to hide in plain sight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's a great story. That's a great, yeah. Love it. <laughs> you know, and then from then, after I, you know, grew out of the funkadelic stage and all of that kind of stuff, I ended up playing with this band in Youngstown, Ohio, and met a group called Kinsman Daz. And uh, they had some very nice songs were produced by... Um, um, what is his name from um, Earth, Wind, and Fire? The things of Philip Bailey. Oh yeah, and, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it kind of had that Earth, Wind, and Fire sound to it. Mm. And um, so, I met the group, and they were kind of fragmented. Like they, they I liked the sound of them, but they were kind of fragmented. And then they didn't have a trumpet player. They already had a guy singing, so I didn't want to step on his toes. So after the show, I had enough courage to go over to the leader of the band and say. If you guys looking for a trumpet player, I'm your man. <laughs> I was 19. And he thought I had so much audacity. He's like, let me check this guy out. And other people are told him, no, this guy is talented. He's got something, you know. So I ended up joining the band. And I sang demo tapes with them and played trumpet. And long story short, I ended up really becoming the lead vocalist to the Daz band for the first 10 years of our existence. We changed the name from Kinsman Daz and went to just called it the Daz Band. And uh, wow. I was the lead singer of it. And so I wanted to be able to play my trumpet and stuff. But in the Daz Band, I was singing so many songs that I didn't get a chance to play live with the trumpet um, because I was singing the lead on the songs. So that was kind of a disappointment, but I got my, my vocal chops on and had a chance mm. to do that. And we, did, we recorded about eight albums. And, uh, and and in 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 like a six year period from 1980 till 1986, we had done eight albums. Wow! And uh, I said, "Wow!" And some things I wanted to do. I wanted to continue to grow. And uh, one thing I know about growth is uh, growth doesn't occur in a comfort zone. If you're comfortable, you stop growing. You become stagnant. So I yeah. was accustomed to being uncomfortable and being challenged. Mm. And that's what I desired. And I wasn't being challenged with Mighty Generation anymore. So mm -hmm. I got with this group and that was a challenge. And uh, we did our six years with that. But I still wouldn't want to be challenged. So I stepped out of the group in 1986 for 10 years. When I stepped out, I went back home to have a family. My son was born. I got married. Uh, 
vice versa. I got married and my son was born. And then, mm-hmm. then uh, uh, as I came out of dad's band and I just left him to go on and be rich and famous, I said, I'll start over again. I want to go a different direction. And about six months later, less than that, four months later, Cool and the Gang called me at my house because I I got the chance to meet them and know them because we opened up the tours with Cool and the Gang, the Daz Band and Cool and the Gang. So oh. that's how I got to be familiar with the guys on a personal oh, level. Right. And that's okay. how that, that came about for me. And then their lead singer, J.T. Taylor, who had only been there for six years, he decided he was going to step out. And they called me and gave me an audition for the job. Mm. And I ended up getting the job, thinking I'd be there for a year. And it turned into 20 years. And uh, and wow. then 10 years, 10 years into that tenure with them, um, I had, was doing two hours of a, I was singing two hours of a two and a half hour show. And I was a little bit disgruntled because I wanted to play the horn parts. I wanted to play all that kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, funky yeah. stuff. So they decided they were going to bring JT Taylor back and see if they could bring him back into the group. So for a year, they had let everybody go, fired us, the whole band, and they tried to do it with JT. It didn't work. Mm. So they ended up calling us back, all of us. And when I went back, they said, Skip, we got. Another guy that can sing as well, uh, um, would you like to come back in the group? I said, you going to pay me my money? Yeah, I will pay you your money. I said, okay, cool. And can I, I'm playing with the uh, the Daz band some now because I went in that one year hiatus uh, where they let everybody go. I found the Daz band again and they asked me to come back and start wearing my old shoes. So I said, okay, I might as well. And I started singing with Daz Band, and we recorded another album. And then here comes Cool and the Gang saying, we want you to be come back into the band. So now I told him, well, I would love to, but I'm playing with Daz Band now, so I can't be on all the shows. Is that all right? They said, yeah, that's fine. We got another guy that can sing. I said, cool. Well, then I'll do it. And so for another 10 years, I did Daz Band and Cool and the Gang simultaneously. (laughs) And... um, so one of the things I tell yeah. kids when I'm doing these seminars is that success is a double-edged sword. Mm. Uh, the people closest to you pay the biggest price for your success. Yeah. The more successful yeah. you are, the less they get a chance to see you. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, you know, double-edged sword. Yeah. I was going to say, being in such legendary groups like that, I'm sure there is, you know, pros and cons to being in such successful bands, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. And that, yeah. Was, that was a part of it. So mm-hmm. I share these things with people and as we're doing that. And then, uh, so this just that, that just went on for so many years and uh, 20 years to be exact, 21 years just about. And then um, I came out and I started really just branding myself and playing my music and now I had the catalog of Cool and the Gang that I could play forever and, and Daz Band and so I could make a living doing that and so forth. Mm-hmm. And the older I got, the more I got into what I wanted to do to help other people. So I spent a lot of time mentoring, um, teaching, along with playing. I get as much gratification by showing somebody else how to do it. And then they do it right. And I just bring tears to my eyes. It's like I did it, but I did it through them. So that's part of what I get a big joy and relief about now. And uh, that brings me to this current point in time in my life where I have over 60 albums, almost 70 albums that I have recorded. Um, because to me, the process of making a record or making a, a song, well, actually a record with a collection of uh, 10 or more tunes on it, it's like maturation of a child. Um, it's like being pregnant. And a woman's time to be pregnant is one of the most glorious times when she's creating a body and that's growing in her and somebody and nothing else, you know, that's, that's a life. Well, as an artist, our projects are our babies. Mm-hmm. And so I would get post, post, what do you call that? Postpartum depression? Oh, After well, postnatal, do, yeah. Yeah. Yes, per, yeah, postnatal. You know, yeah, depression. Michael, because yeah. after after yeah. we would do a record, then I would get depressed because I was like, oh, we're finished. Mm. Oh, there's no more. Oh, we're finished. 
you know, and I would be like, yeah. no, we're done, we're done with this. We got to, oh. So in order to come out of that funk, <laughs> in order to come out of that funk, I'd start mm. another project. Mm. And that's why at 64 years of age, I have almost 70 albums. It's a lot. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I just keep doing them. And it wasn't about, was it a hit record or was it this and that? It was just the making of it and being creative and making another painting and another painting and another painting. And then every once in a while, I look back down the hill and go, wow, done a lot of paintings. Mm. But then I go right back to looking at my feet and going up the hill and making more paintings. So mm. that's part of what I'm doing now. And um, so my latest project that I'm sure Cheryl might have mentioned to you is People Get Ready. Yes. 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 Great. Yes. 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 Thank you. Uh, so that came about because I had recorded a gospel CD called God Will Find You. And that mm -hmm. song was on there. And I ran into a group in Las Vegas where I live. And the group was called As Yet. They came out of Philadelphia mm -hmm. and the Babyface Camp. Oh, okay. yeah. Like yeah, Boys yeah. to Men. Yeah. 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 And, and um, so we were just kicking it one day and I said, I got this gospel tune. You know, you might want to hear this tune. And maybe we can collaborate. You guys can sing in the choir with me and stuff. Mm. And we can make this, you know. So he said, yeah, let's do that. So we started at nine o'clock. We finished at three in the morning. And but <laughs> when we started at nine, I heard a voice say to me, expand on that. Okay. I said, what? I said, what is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, what is that? I didn't know what that was. And I'm like, well, we're expanding because we're getting ready to collaborate. So we collaborated. Everybody was on it. We got finished at three o'clock. It sounded great. Just marvelous. I'm like, wow. Yeah. And I heard the voice again say, expand on that. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Again like, and again. Are you guys playing a trick on me? Somebody yeah. playing a trick on me. You know, so I couldn't sleep. When I got home, it was four o'clock in the morning. So, and I just couldn't sleep. So I started calling people that are on the East Coast. They're three hours ahead. So it says seven o'clock there. Then mm -hmm. I started calling people and asked them, would they be a part of this project with me? And mm -hmm. would they sing on this? And I got so frustrated because I was watching, you know, in COVID, you couldn't go out and do too many things. A lot of the people couldn't go out to studios. and Everything yeah. was shut down. All the musicians mm -hmm. in the world had no gigs for the first time in their lives mm -hmm. for over a year. Yes. Since I was 19 years old playing those six nights a week, I had been booked or had something booked on my calendar every month for 40 something years yeah and last year when covid came i looked at my calendar for a year and mm. i was at a loss because it was nothing yeah shock to the system yeah oh yeah mm. yeah yeah no income no way to, to play and get off that that, no. that energy and all of the all of the uh, news and everything was talking about well the republicans are doing this the democrats are doing that and that person is doing the scandal here and this and that and, this. Oh, yeah. and i'm like I know. where's the hope i know yeah nobody's talking about hope everybody's no. talking about Damon somebody badly how they're not being yeah you know and america was created on all the differences mm -hmm. you know everybody's differences making it a collective not differences making it a uh destruction the yeah. division mm -hmm. and i was i was frustrated all we had was the television telling us all of these horrible things and then COVID was coming in and that was more horrible so how are you supposed to come out of a funk and you're just being fed all this poison mm. every day yeah. so i said you know what i'm gonna try to do something we gotta even if it's just a change of mindset you know i gotta do something so that's when i started um, getting people, that was my pitch to people. Would you, if I send you the track, would you sing on this and and uh, sing what, what feels comfortable to you and then I'll put it all together. Mm -hmm. And I got 27 people, 29 people to wow. do this. Yeah. And all the likes of Stevie Wonder, Taylor Dane, Howard Hewitt, Ray Parker Jr., Dougie Fresh, Robert Cool Bell, Pastor John P. Key, C.C. Peniston, Allison William, Neil McCoy, Reggie Calloway, John Alfonte yeah. from Kansas, Kevin Schaufant from Journey, uh, Pastor John wow. P. Key. I mean, I got all of these people to be on this project with me. Amazing. And uh, 
so it's been a blessing. And if you guys get a chance, I hope you'll play it. Oh, absolutely. There. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I mean, we will. I mean, yeah. just getting all them amounts of people on, on one record, Skip, must have been an absolute challenge in itself. Just to do that. pull it all together, well, it was, yeah. It was a challenge, but it was the it was like I was giving birth to eight tuplets. <laughs> <laughs> It was what I wanted on steroids. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> it was what I desired in that maturing, you know, that maturation of, you know, it was the biggest product of my life, biggest profound project of my life. But like I say in the video, mm-hmm. what made this the most profound project of my life was because it wasn't about me. It was about us. Yeah. And that's yeah, what yeah. made it so yeah. powerful to yeah. me. Yeah. I, I think know? also as well, Skip, touching what you said earlier, which I think is you know, really cool. And Becky and I were in, you know, hundred percent endorse this as well. It's because it's one of the reasons why we started the podcast. And when you're saying about mentoring and giving back to the community, that's why effectively why we started the podcast, because we wanted to put yeah. something back into the community, but also mm-hmm. time stamping. And I've said this a lot on, you know, several shows, but I do think it's important because you're coming on the show, you're time stamping what you've done in your career. And, you know, when, we're no longer here and these podcasts are hopefully still alive. Mm. Someone's going to come along mm. and, and listen to this podcast and say, wow, that happened. I want to do that. I yeah. want to go and play Get the inspired. trumpet. I want to yeah. do this. And we think that was quite cool, really. Mm. Yeah, that's that's part. That's a part of it. And I've been around the world and, I, yeah, and I've seen really some moments. And, um, and I recall one moment being in West Africa, Ivory Coast. And uh, we were riding in a van. We were cool in the gang. We were riding in a van along the ocean and they had a little gift shop right on the side of the road and the ocean was behind it. Well, I had already gotten some gifts to take home, souvenir type things. So I didn't really go in there to go shopping. I went and I walked out to the beach, which was behind the shack where they were selling the souvenirs. And I got out onto this beach and I looked to the left until and it just went and it went until it just went into a mist, till it went into infinity. You couldn't even see anything any farther, just a couple of miles. And there was nobody on the beach. Then I looked to the right and I looked all the way to where it turned and curved into a mist, into the mist. And there was nobody on the beach. And the waves were just pounding. They were just, boom. They were just pounding. You could feel it on the ground. And I had a thought. I just like my legs just fell out from under me and I fell to my knees and I put my hands in the sand. And I said, one day I'm I'm no more significant than a grain of sand. And one day I'm going to be a grain of sand where I came from. So I just want to mark, make, put some type of a mark in humanity, the sands of humanity that I was here because that would be the only evidence left after this short period we call a lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. So that's what I've been doing. I've been making a trail. I've been making a trail and I continue to make a trail and you're doing a podcast now. My other thing that I'm very excited about right now is that, uh, is that I have just been given an opportunity to have my own radio show. Oh, okay. And my radio show is, um, I've, I've put uh, four of them in the can so far, and I'm going to record them and put them in the can, and um, it'll be once a week, and they're going to syndicate it. Uh, it's called Friends and Legends. And oh, wow. I, I play all the music from all these people that I know, um, and then I tell stories on the intros and the outros of my connection with them, where we had dinner, where we worked together, where we recorded together, where we did concerts together. We know each other 30 years, 40 years, whatever, and so forth. This is my friend. We're going to have dinner tomorrow night, da da da, so forth. So I've got all these people from Earth, Wind, and Fire, Journey, uh, Gap Band, Confunction, SOS Band, Bark Hayes, um, Tower Power, um, Tom Schumann, Spyro Gyra. I mean, I just have hundreds of friends and relationships. So that's the stuff that I that I premiere on my on my show. So Great. hopefully yeah. that'll be something that you will hear soon. And today, today I just finished up a meeting 
with the company out of uh, Spain and uh, Brazil. And they're going to help me to do a video radio show, meaning I will be Hmm. recording my radio show um, on film. There'll be a camera up while I'm doing it. And then while the songs are grooving and I'm grooving, they're going to have all kind of images jumping up and all kind of stuff going on to keep you watching and grooving while the party's going on. <laughs> and they'll come back to me while I introduce the next songs or explain the stories about what was our connections and so forth and so on. And so we're going to call that Trip with Skip TV. Oh, wow. wow. That sounds really good. Yeah. I like that's the sound. Exciting. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So we're really working on that. I'm feeling so good. It's brilliant. And one thing we wanted to ask you is, if you was out for dinner, what three people would you have at, around the dinner table with you today? And it could be past or present. Yeah. Just for a bit of fun. <laughs> I would have Oprah Winfrey. Okay. Yeah. 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 I would have Michael Jackson. Yeah. 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 I would have President Obama. Wow. wow that's that's. Pretty cool. That'd be a cool evening, yeah, wouldn't that it? Would be, that, that, <laughs> I could. Interesting conversation. I'd, I'd be crying like a baby. I'm telling you. And if there's any if argument, yeah. around there, <laughs> there'd be no argument. Only have three. <laughs> Man. Oh wow. There, you know. there'd be no arguments because you and Michael would just get up and just do a groove. So that'd be that, really. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! I'm telling you, I love Michael so much, and uh, yeah, he was. I got a chance to meet Mike once. Did you? Oh, wow. and, uh, yeah, and it just was. Oh, um, uh, he's. I had done this song. I had done three songs or so that were um, songs that I had was inspired by Michael. One of them was uh, "Human Nature," mm. and I sang yeah. it through my trumpet. Oh, okay. And the other one was "Remember the Time." Yes, yeah. I sang yeah. that yes. through my trumpet. Yes. And then there was another one called. Heaven can wait. Yes. Yeah. Which I did, and this was prior to him leaving us. And it took me two years or so after his death before I could even play that song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine told me. He said, uh, "I want you to do this party for me." And um, if you do this party for me, uh, I had a celebrity that fell out. He was working with the Jackson family. His name was Majestic. And he says, "Yeah, but Skip, but I don't have any money to pay you, but." You know, I said, you don't have to pay me any money. I just want to meet Mike. <laughs> he says, well, I'll see if I can work on that. Because Mike is the greatest on the planet. I think he's the best on the planet. He says, well, I'll see what we can do on that. So I started calling Majestic every week. Majestic, I want to meet Mike. Click. <laughs> Majestic, I want to meet Mike. Click. <laughs> About six months later, Majestic calls me. I said, I want to meet Mike. <laughs> Majestic says, wait a minute, Skip. I got Mike on the phone. I said, get out of here. You ain't got... Hello? I said, Mike? Yes. I said, oh my God, Mike, I love you so much. You're so bad. I can't believe it. Come and tell me I'm okay with no one says about you all that bullshit they talk about. That. I love you, man. Great. You made your last album, Invincibles, was the best. And then Majestic said, Skip, let him talk. Okay, I love you, Mike. I love you too. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I just started crying. I'm like, oh my God, you're so great, man. He says, well, I think you're a phenomenal artist. I got to go and put Blanket to bed, but um, I'm going to get Majestic. And I didn't know he had a son named Blanket. Who names his son Blanket? I thought he was being funny, you know. I got to put Blanket to bed, but I'm going uh, to to London, and, and I'm going to get Majestic to send me your music, okay? I said, okay, Mike, thank you very much. I said, I love you. I, I love you. I was like, oh, my God. Wow. So, wow. I mean, then I was just like a wet rat. You know, because I could hear it was him. I could feel his his vibe. I'm talking to him, and I grew up with him, oh. and we were close to the same age. And he's just like from another planet. Like God sent him here yeah. on a rocket, and he just, you know, I was playing some of his music on my radio show. Um, I'm bad, unbreakable. Oh man, I was song was so so bad, you know. And I was just, I was just listening to that. I was like. Still today, nobody and you know can touch me because I'm not break the mountain down down. And I'm like, this dude yeah, yeah. was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just one of a know, kind. And, yeah. 
Yes, and Quincy Jones said it so eloquently. He said, "There's a, those are there are those that come around once in a lifetime, mm-hmm. but then there's also those that just come around once." Mm-hmm. And that was Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we a whole bunch of lifetimes. They ain't gonna, they're not gonna be another Mike come around. No, <laughs> not not like that. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. no. You know, no, you know, so we brilliant. have the mm. in our lifetime, you know, we have to acknowledge the things that we have seen and appreciate what we've experienced in our lives and this life that we're living in, this generation that we're living in from from the Berlin Wall knockdown, from this, uh, slavery eradicated, from uh, black president from Oprah Winfrey, from Michael Jackson to Miles Davis to, uh, you know, Martin Luther King, you mm. know, to, I mean, just yes. so many poignant, powerful, you know, 9-11 yeah. to, uh, you know, just so many, the, the um, what was that? Uh, Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Yeah. AIDS, the live AIDS. And, all of these things that have happened in our lifetime and this life, Muhammad Ali, come on. Michael Jackson, yeah. all of these things we've experienced in our lifetime that, you know, just been, yeah. these are heroes and super, supernatural events yeah. and things that have taken place and Nelson Mandela yeah. and, yeah. you know, just, um, and, and, and JFK and, and you know, just so many great things, uh, going to the moon and mm. and all of these things, some of the richest people in the world, the Bransons and what have you, and, and Teslas and I mean we have just seen so much yeah. the Oprah's where the people of color are rising around the world, especially our women are being empowered in the world. Mm-hmm. Um and respect to women learning how to drive, being able to drive in Arabia, all of these things are great things that we've had got a chance to see and witness mm. in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yep. so, so yeah. there's been a lot of really greatness happening and I don't have to live a whole nother lifetime. If it keeps going down like this, I'm just going to uh, enjoy it. I might want to come back as a dog. Yeah. And I think the thing is, as well, be fair. It's skip is, um, you know. I don't think for me personally, and I, and I, Bex probably feels the same as well. It doesn't matter where you come from, what colour skin you are, what you do. It, it really yeah. doesn't matter. And I'm just sick and tired of the way the world is, the way it's negativity. Just just all come together and just do something positive. And I think things would be a That's lot better. That's what the time is. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, the last thing, I, last thing I think I should share with you is if you go to Amazon, mm. you can pull up my children's book. Okay. I wrote a children's book called Morgan the Clydesdale Pony. Yes, yes. And it's for zero to eight years of age children, teaching them how to read. And the theme of this whole book is you can be anything, anything, anything. You can be anything if you believe. And that's what was happening with Morgan. He was a Clydesdale purchased by the owner of the Kentucky Derby racetrack. And he bred thoroughbreds, but he bought Morgan at two months old to be the lead horse in a firehouse stagecoach team of Clyde sales, like the Budweiser team. Mm. But they didn't tell him that's what he was to do. He saw the racehorses running and he would get up and eat his hay and run around his corral and dream about the day that he was going to run in the Kentucky Derby and win. And all of his barnyard friends, they, they ridicule him because he must be cray crazy and he could do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, poor, you know, and the and the, the thoroughbreds, they were all uppity and like, he'll never be like me. You know, never be like us. We're elite. You know, you're never going to be that. You're a workhorse. Look, you're big, you're fat, you're slow. <laughs> or you will never win a race, you know. And um, and then the, the Clydesdales, they were also shunning him because it was like he's not accepting what his job is. He doesn't want to be with a, one of us. You know, he's discounted us. And uh, as he grew in two years, he grew bigger, wider, stronger than all the racehorses. But he was twice as slow. He was twice as big, twice as strong. 
but twice as slow. In this one year, it rained so hard that the track had turned into a muddy swamp with three inches of mud and two inches of water on the track. And now all those thoroughheads with the thoroughbreds with their sleek legs and hooves had to learn how to run in the mud to compete in the Kentucky Derby the next day. And so they were practicing, they get around the third, third turn, and they see this glass tabletop like pond of mud. And the favorite horse, Big Red, slipped and fell in that pond-sized puddle and, tar- and started a chain reaction. And all the other horses fell on top of him, and then he got up lame and he couldn't walk and he couldn't run in the Kentucky Derby the next day. So the jockey that was riding him said to the owner, well, why don't we put Morgan in the race? And Morgan said, he says, Morgan, are you ready? I need you. Morgan said, yes, I've been waiting for this my whole life. So they put a racing saddle on him and, and got him in the gates. And all the horses, and they said that the, the announcer said, and they're off in the Kentucky Derby. And he was just going and he was just running. And all he could see was tails and hooves. And around the second corner, all he could see was tails and hooves. They were just farther away. And as they got into the third corner, they're coming up to that pond, that glass tabletop pond of mud and water where Big Red fell the day before. And they got right to that pond and the same thing happened. The first horse that hit that thing slipped and fell in the mud and caused a chain reaction. All these horses are falling on the ground. And the jockey was on top of Morgan said, come on, Morgan, go to the right. He steered him to the right. And he just ran right past all of them. All of them them looked like they were covered in chocolate. And he just ran right past them across the finish line in first place. Everybody cheered his name. Morgan, Morgan, yippee! (laughs) And then he became the lead horse in the Firehouse Stagecoach team for 11 years. And then they put him out to pasture where he raised his own family. And at this day, he says, when he won that race, he said that was the best day of his life. But then he said, but today is really the best day of his life because today his two-month-old son came over him and said, Daddy, I want to be a racehorse. And he said, son, you can be anything you want to be if you believe it in your heart. <laughs> yeah, Even if you yeah. are just a Clydesdale <laughs> pony. <laughs> yeah. Because you can be anything, anything, anything. You can be anything if you believe. And that's the message I'm giving to our youth. Oh, that's a lovely story. Yeah, I mean, for Thank children you. coming on. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, what an inspiration. It's a great little story. Yeah, absolutely. Aww. Thank you. Absolutely, I think so. What a what great a... way to finish, yeah. really. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds wonderful. And um, um, I know that you're um, currently on tour at the moment as well. You've got quite a busy schedule ahead at the moment. Yes, I do. Um, I'm just coming back from doing seminars mm-hmm. um, with the kids. Um, what I do is uh, I, I go do the seminars with the kids and I've donated books to them. So I have a room full of like 400 kids and they all have a book. And um, then I take a picture of that. Then I take it to corporations and let the corporation see that yeah. and ask them, would you donate so I can money so I can have the dues books duplicated and then I can donate the books to kids who can't afford to buy books. Mm. And so during COVID, I ended up collecting $30,000. Wow. And I put that money into <clears throat> having the books duplicated and I had about 6,000 books printed up from that. Mm. And uh, wow. I just came back from Texas and I donated 1,800 books and I did 12 seminars and we have created a musical, Morgan the Musical, huh. which is a 50-minute musical with 10 songs about all the people in it. And it's a musical. And I just came back from watching that, assisting that. And uh, if you go to YouTube, you can find a song called If Only You Believe. Oh. And that's the, that's the yeah. finale song yeah. to my children's musical. And it's dedicated to fathers and their sons. Oh. That's, so pull that's that cool. one up on YouTube, yeah, yeah, and uh, and you'll you'll hear it. It's amazing. It's a video that goes along with it and everything. We'll check that out. We'll check that out. Definitely, definitely. check that out. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, no, well, I think that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. Just, no, it's a 
just a great positive message, isn't it, for anyone really? Yeah, yeah. Just the young children, just the youngsters, because mm. I think the more, I think the next generation. I'm hopeful that if you can empower the next generation through knowledge, wisdom, books, learning, mm. then we, everyone's got a fighting chance. Yeah, and that's all you can ask Make for. Make the world mm-hmm. a better place, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I think I've given you like a very unique, encapsulated uh, uh, rundown on you know on my life and what has been going on with this and you know how I feel about it and I'm doing more things to help people and. I'm going to give you an example. This is going to be, before we close out, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to send you guys a message. Something that we can take into tomorrow. As a gifted artist, I have to, uh, it's my responsibility, obligation, to give people messages. So this goes like this. Seems like the same old thing keeps happening over and over. How can we chase away another desperate child when his heart's been broken? God said we must be deep in the powers of love. Cannot be deceived by my brother who's in pain just like me. Someday we've got to find a better way. A better way. Don't you know that one day we've got to find a way to say, Oh, I love you.
give me love. So you guys can help me out. Tell everybody where they can find my music. You can find me on Spotify, Instagram. You can go to skipmartinmusic.com. Share a little love. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Skip, to have you on the show today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's all for today's episode of The Entertainment Engine. And thanks for listening. Join us again next week for more great guest interviews from the world of entertainment. It would be great to have your feedback on the show. So please drop us a message at any time. We would love to hear from you. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast platforms so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening to the show. And remember to all stay safe. The Entertainment Engine.